yeah, so like Thursday or Friday, I started getting some different news alerts and news articles and everything just showing like, hey, there's a bank that's tanking and going under and mm-hmm. everything like that. And so um, naturally, when you hear that, it is a little bit scary, especially since some big people in finance are like have been predicting, hey, we're about to enter into a recession, during right. a recession. Like it's kind of the similar news articles that we we're getting in like 2007, like there's some mm-hmm. warning signs here that we should, shouldn't ignore. And some people are like all doom and gloom. Like mm-hmm. our world is going to upend and be on fire by the end of today. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the unfortunate part is when you're trying, I try not to watch, like when I see a news article, that's like breaking news, there's the main people are going to hit it. Like CNN, MSNBC, Fox business, um, AP news, all those. Are yeah. Like the big guys, like an article, but they don't have all the information. Yeah. So usually what I try and do is I'll try and like see, kind of get a gist of like what's happening, not if it's good or bad, just like what's actually happening. And then Mm -hmm. I try and wait till some different people, usually on YouTube, I usually wait for some different people to post an analysis of, okay, here's what actually is happening. And they're not super hyped up or anything like that. So the plain bagel is one of those. So he posted a video either late Saturday night or early Sunday morning. His YouTube channel is the plain bagel. Yeah. And right. imagine, imagine a guy, I mean, he's like, he's, he's just the most simple, straightforward person. And the jokes he makes are just so subtle. And, but there's, his videos aren't flashy at all. It's literally just him in front of a camera just yeah. talking and that's it. But I love him because he's like, he doesn't, he's, he's not flashy and crazy with his. Yeah. 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 And a lot of people say his videos are boring, but they're just straight factual. And so it's really, really nice. Um, mm-hmm. And he has a, he has a finance background. So his, when he talks about something, he's able to explain it very in very simple terms, but also like downplay and say, okay, here's where your like crisis should be. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, so yeah, all these banks. So basically the largest bank was Silicon Valley bank, which is one mm-hmm. of the top 10 or it was one of the top 10 or 15 banks in the U S as far as deposit holdings. So to, as far as cash, it was that holdings, big. Um, or Yeah. And so I don't think I realized it was that bank, big. Like the biggest ones. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's pretty big. It's not as big as, um, you know, JP Morgan or bank of America or us bank. It's not that big, mm-hmm. but they, they still consume like the, there's like four or five players who consume 60% of the market. So it's still fairly large. Um, but the biggest thing that impacted them was that 95% of their deposits from customers were not FDIC insured. So that was the big scary part is this bank had some poor um, business management, not necessarily financial management, like they like nothing was illegal. There's some sketchy things that happens, but there's nothing illegal that like necessarily right now that they were doing. Um, yeah, besides, I got a um, clarifying question for you. Go ahead. Is, isn't it, I had read they, they didn't have a, um, a senior vice president for risk management. Like they didn't have anybody at the top position for the risk management position for like two years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which it's hard to say if this, if a person in that position would have actually been able to adjust their profile because the the part that went bad for them was that they were invested in U.S. Treasury bonds, mm-hmm. which are the safest things in the market because, you know, you trust the U.S. Mm-hmm. government. Um, but the problem was, is that because they had invested in these, when interest rates were low, once interest mm-hmm. rates started rising, 
every right. time they have to sell these um, to these bonds to actually pay their customers who are making deposits, they had to take it as a loss. So I think at the mm -hmm. start, the first of March, they announced, "Hey, we're going to have to sell at a two point two billion dollar loss um, yep. and sell these assets." Now they also just released their their financials and said, "All these other assets, we expect to actually make money on in five years." But they had to sell yeah. early because people saw this in, in California, all these Silicon Valley companies are like, hey, let's just go and start pulling our money out. And then all of a sudden they just have to cash this at a greater loss and then a greater loss. So it just kept happening. And so mm -hmm. normally that wouldn't happen. And that, the thing is that their financials, they just got audited like a month ago and they're fine. And so their financials technically are okay. But... um it's just kind of like an unprecedented thing, kind of like a black swan event that you wouldn't necessarily expect to happen. Like if you're reading a textbook and you're like managing a company, you're like, no, this is probably a safe thing to do. Like even the auditors were like kind of blindsided by this, but, um, uh, but it, it just I don't shows know. that when things change fast. Well, the reason I would say, I don't know, what? I don't remember too much from my bond valuation accounting class and intermediate accounting too. But I do remember our professor like adamantly saying bonds are safe. Treasury yields are safe unless interest rates are low. It's like, don't buy them when they're low. Cause you had to go through and you had like calculate how it would affect bond yields. And if every time that interest rate goes up, bonds yeah. just like plummet. He's like, don't. <laughs> so like that's, I don't remember much. I remember that. And I remember like Blackstone's modeling or whatever, but, um, Still, you you yeah. bank it. Well, you know, you, they have U.S. Treasury. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be the safest yeah, bond you can buy. Safe. It's the U.S. Treasury. Yeah, that's wild. And so, and there's they usually haven't diversified and stuff, but they they started to realize, yeah, we're kind of like in over our heads with this, and because they just went up much faster, and they're not diversified. So most of their mm -hmm. client base are the exact same people. They're all neighbors. They're all these companies mm -hmm. in Silicon Valley. Um, and so as soon as one person in the industry starts saying, maybe we should back out of this, maybe we should withdraw some cash. Everybody's saying that they're friends. They're all going out to lunch together. It's all the same people within a you know, 10 square miles right. saying the same thing versus like JP Morgan, who's like, they're across the world. And so they have like, even if this happened in one industry, nothing, it wouldn't happen that much. And so mm. the, only, the only, there is some questionable, questionable things that how, a lot of their executives sold out of the stock of the company two weeks ago. So no way. Investigated because, <laughs> yeah, so it was right before they posted that they were going to have to sell this off um, and issue new stock. So it's like they were just taking a safe a safe bet, but it's going to be like, this is kind of illegal. It's not, well, the thing is, it's not necessarily illegal. If this didn't happen, it wouldn't be legal or investigated. But because yeah. it happened now, they're like, are you misleading shareholders? Yeah, it, um, it looks like an insider. It looks like insider trading. Stuff. So it's. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, they kind of knew what was happening and they sell they, they got out while while they could. And so. Um, but the nice thing is, I was really happy to hear yesterday that Janet Yellen, head of the Treasury, announced that they would not do a bailout. And they're going to let the bank fail, but all depositors will be have their funds secured, which is like the best of both worlds, mm -hmm. because then to bail them out would be a ton of money 
to, but they're just selling off all their assets mm-hmm. and paying all the depositors back. Um, and they say so, there's not going to be any taxpayer money involved. We'll see if that actually follows through. But that's never true. So all of the government's money is taxpayer <laughs> money. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, it, it, but hopefully, hopefully they keep it to the staff members who are handling this situation for the next two months. Their salaries are the uh, only taxpayer money that are involved. That's mm-hmm. what it should be. We'll see what actually yeah. happens, and I mean, investigate. But everybody's getting their deposits. But yeah, that's yep. Everybody, so the everybody today or lat, yeah, everybody this morning, um, as soon as banks opened, everybody who was FDIC insured got their money back, and then everybody else would get it by the end of the week. If are they? Are they? capping it at the FDIC maximum or are they going beyond the FDIC maximum? So the for the insured, they're not going beyond. For the uninsured, they're selling off assets that the bank owned in order to pay depositors back with their cash. Oh, that's good. Okay. So, so they're, they're not like... Out. They're not printing any money. They're not... Go ahead. Okay. Well, that's good. Cause you always wonder, like you said, you said they're a top, top, top 10 bank. So they had how much on deposit? Um, I mean, a couple, you know, like almost a hundred billion or something. Um, yeah. And FDIC is only, FDIC is only up to 250,000. Yeah. That sucks. Um, so it was 16th in the country by assets at the end of 2022. Okay. So, well, that's a, um, yeah, so the, that's and, a and people, rough a weekend worried about like, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of people were scared for their jobs because they're like, well, my company had money there and payroll right. that comes out on the 15th. Can they actually withdraw money to pay me? And so a lot of like people were super worried about it. And, uh, but it, it, it looks like it's not actually going to, there's no recourse effect except for other businesses that were in ties with this company. So like I got notices from my bank. Mm. I don't know if you did. I got notices from my banks that just said, we don't have any association with this company. Like we've worked with them or partners in the industry, but none of your funds are in any sort mm. of investments or anything with this bank. Um, mm. Basically just assuring that like my money's safe. And so right. I think overall, yeah, we wouldn't it have could have got- been a lot worse. Well, I guess we'll probably see what else but, the other fallout yeah. is. See how the public reacts. Yeah. I mean, there are some other banks who it looks like they might have been somewhat tied to it. So some other regional banks, some smaller banks have had some trickle down effect, but it doesn't look like it's that big, I think, from what I can tell. But I'll wait to see mm-hmm. if some of my financial YouTuber gurus post some update videos this week. So. <laughs> Well, we're yeah, so 11 that's, and that's a half minutes into the podcast. <laughs> oh, just so yeah. you know, there's a little bit of a so. delay as it tries to upload. Right right now, our Wi-Fi is getting crushed by the cold weather out there. Uh, we're expecting like 10 inches of snow. So oh, there's a little bit of a delay on the Wi-Fi. Um, so just so you're aware. Uh, it, when, it, when it uploads, it'll be fine. But we're... 12 minutes into the podcast and I asked Colin this is my brother Colin. He was been, he did the 
eighth most listened to podcast on the man. I want to be podcast talking about video games. And he's always collecting articles and interesting information about what's happening in the world. So I was like, first thing I asked him before I hit record is like, what are you learning that is interesting right now? And it just happens to be the same week that a uh, bank collapsed in, uh, in California. (laughs) And he was his, uh, and Audrey is an auditor and his wife, Audrey is an auditor. And so she got to explain a bunch of stuff to him and, um, what a what a weekend. We'll see how that goes. Have you seen the movie Margin Call? Yeah. So you know, yeah, the when you said like 10 square blocks, they'd all they all talk to each other, that my mind immediately went to Margin Call. I'm like you got to be first and they all start selling. And have you seen the movie The Big Short? Yeah, yeah that's a that's actually Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep, own both those movies. Um, watch them actually probably each three or four times, um, just because I mm-hmm. find them so interesting and fascinating. And so, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's those the regulations that passed after um, two thousand eight and two thousand nine um, are what allowed um, the U.S. Treasury and the bank regulators to actually act before this weekend and this past weekend. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so it's it's just like nice when you see something that actually a, a, a pretty terrible crisis that I mean impacted the U.S. but it also impacted the world. Everybody who yeah. uses the U.S. dollar as a currency was in, impacted ten times the amount um, as the U.S. in two thousand eight and two thousand nine. So wow, um, the fact that we put in a reg- regulation that has unfortunately has been put to the test and it has worked out pretty well, like. Mm-hmm. It's been localized to one or a couple banks and very, very few people in total, like actually U.S. citizens. Um, and hopefully that there, if there is any wrongdoing or anything like that, um, because there's not a financial, huge financial backlash, they're able to get to the investigations and actually, you know, put people on um, um, under the microscope to make sure that they're still being ethical and moral with their businesses. Um, mm-hmm. But. So I was going to ask you um, in regards to that, have you, do you know who Ray Dalio is? Yeah. Have you read his book or heard of his book principles for navigating a changing world order? Yeah. You have read it? Yeah. Yeah. I've read it and I've, I watched it. I share the video with a lot of people a lot on YouTube. Okay, so I I didn't, haven't met anyone other than me who's read that book, and I thought it was fascinating. Um, so for those of you who are, are just listening, Ray Dalio, he wrote that book, big old book called, I think it was just called Principles, and it was just different principles for life. But then he wrote another book called Principles for Navigating a Changing World Order. I think that's the, t- the exact title of it. And it's basically an economic analysis of money in history across different empires. Uh, so, um, what was the, the, uh, Northeast India trading company? He looked at them, the Dutch, uh, the British, and then the United States. And then I also, also China, right? He looked at all of these, like what happens when, um, currency changes and. Yeah, he's looking to see, he's predicting that, um, if the U S no longer becomes the, 
the ruling world order on the financial system economically um, that China will take over um, and not necessarily that they'll like run the world, but they'll have they'll have economic power um, that the U.S. has held since World War Two, basically. Yeah, they'll be the reserve currency. Primarily. Mm-hmm. And take over probably the IMF and. and yeah, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see because um, starting a business in like the nineteen twenties, even when we were doing well economically after World War One, and the nineteen twenties still wasn't as easy as it is today because it's very easy to get access to finance and funds and when. Um, if that changes, I think we'll still have a very, the U.S. that is, we'll still have a very strong currency and have a st- still a very strong economic system, but they won't be the, they won't be in charge of the world. And so some of our finances will change and it'll actually be like similar to how like Germany operates. Germany is one of the top economies in the world, but they're not um, going to have a very si- similar system to us, but they're not nearly as strong as us as far as business development and stuff because money just doesn't move as quickly when yours is not the national or the world currency basically yeah yeah this is like fascinating to like look into um i think that book by ray dalio is a great like introduction to like money and economics and the world is not always going to be the way you understand it like, or the way you got, got to live it, like it, it could change. Um, and it's changed over and over and over and over again. Um, which is, I think it, it was very, I think it's a very sobering book. Um, you know what else was I've, I've telling everybody about this book. Have you heard of the book age of entitlement? Uh, yeah, it actually just popped up on my newsfeed. Um, man, who, who was talking about it? Um, Oh, actually, you know what? I think I heard about it, and then I was listening to the podcast that you and Dylan did for his channel. I was Mm -hmm. just listening to that um, Friday, maybe when I was driving, and so Mm -hmm. yeah, I heard you guys talking about it a little bit as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm re-listening to it uh, for the second time. It is. I've read a lot of historical analysis of the United States, and it is the single best analysis of the United States since 1960s that I've ever read guaranteed to sober up every single person who reads it, no matter what you think about the U S left, right, blue, red, middle, disengage. Like if you're a Reagan fan, that book's going to make you not a Reagan fan. Cause it is, it is so well written. Um, like, it is. Uh, I could not believe how good that book was, and it it's like a smack in the face to like. Here's the consequences of everything you've ever done for the last sixty years, and yeah, I can't. I can't recommend that book enough. Highly, re- you should buy it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, that's. I, I feel like it's either. I think I, I feel like I read a part of it, like in a bookstore one time. And then I, um, or I think I heard about it on a podcast or, or something. And I saw it in a bookstore. So I read like a little bit of it and then someone else was talking about it and how important it is just for, uh, like you said, framing your mind, framing your perspective when you're thinking about current 
choices as an individual, current choices mm-hmm. as a um, as a community or as a country, and how they do have consequences, and they have lasting consequences much much longer than people think. And mm-hmm. sometimes consequences don't actually show up right away. They take a long time to happen, and it's like throwing a baseball really really far off a cliff. Mm-hmm. You can watch it for like ten to twenty seconds, and then it hits the ground or um, and you just, it just takes a long time sometimes for consequences to happen. And yeah. when you're thinking about things on a long-term scale, it's, it's kind of hard to kind of, kind of hard to see that. Um, but, and, um, but yeah, I actually for the back on that principles book, I used to use that as, um, when I would every year and I, I talk about the first portion. So he talks about principles that he had in his life, uh, or the second part, he talked about how he developed principles, Redalio. And they talked about how he applied those principles to his life and everything. Um, I used to use that as when I would do um, residence life training on campus. Um, oh, really? I used to use that book as how, yeah, in life, you're just going to have, you're just going to have a lot of different circumstances that you run into and you can't be prepared for all of them, but you can almost always, you can always be prepared to have a framework to solve them and how to react to them. And um it helps you stop from being reactionary. If you can have like, you know, you always take a time to pause no matter what. And before you decide, before you speak, and if you take that time, you build that framework out, then you're just going to be able to operate in life way, way better. Um, mm-hmm. And just, just be able to go a lot smoother through life. I think. Yeah. I know Dylan liked that book. I've never read it. Um, but I've the only book by Ray Dalio that I've read is that principles for principles for changing world order, not his original principles, but um, maybe I'll have to check that out. Cause I do. Yeah. The framework of principles um, is very, very helpful, very helpful. Cause you can't like, especially otherwise you're just reacting. Like you said, um, what else are you reading anything else that's interesting? Cause you are always collecting. Oh, I want, I want one more comment. Cause you like Malcolm Gladwell. I like Malcolm Gladwell. Age of entitlement reads like a Malcolm Gladwell book. Like oh, okay. great that like it's that kind of book where it's like out of, it's not just not what you would expect when you read it. Um, and this guy, the guy who wrote it, he's written one book before this one. And I, I couldn't even tell you, it was like $70. It looked like a textbook. Um, he's a journalist of, I forget where he's a journalist at, but he's, he's written two books in his life. And this one just like took off. But, um, it, yeah, it reminded oh, me of like, a, it reminded me of a Malcolm Gladwell type of book. Um, are you, co- all right, what else are you collecting? Um, I mean, right I want to add, like, I'm actually reading a lot about, go ahead. I was going to say, if you don't have anything, I want to ask you about chat GPT. <laughs> um, well, actually, yeah. So, um, most of the stuff I've been reading right now has just been for like work, but, um, because, um, probably the worst aspect of my job, as far as like what I'm best at versus what I'm worst at, is just recruiting and just being a salesman. 
Um, and people don't like it when I call when I say I'm a salesman, but I am because I have to recruit players um, to my program, but also to my university. And remind so, people what you do. Um, uh, I'm an esports coach for a small Christian university in Nebraska. So if you know if you know anybody who plays video games and they're pretty good, and you know they want to go to a Christian school, then uh, hit me up. But um, I've got somebody for you, but he's currently thirteen. Hey, you know, three years, three, four years. Um, but yeah, so I've been, I've been listening to a lot about um, selling a product because that's, that's what I'm doing and I have to package it that way and I have to reframe how I do it. But also I'm having to teach myself skills that I'm not good at. Um, mm. And so there's... There's a lot of other things that I'm good at, but when it comes to actually building a customer, like relationship with a customer and selling a product that is, it's not a one-time thing. It's a, it's a big um, heaping thing that takes, you know, it's a four-year college degree. A lot of times I'm talking to people outside Nebraska. They've never been to Nebraska. They don't want to come to Nebraska. Um, I tell them how it's negative 20 degrees and they don't, they're not interested or we're, we're in a small town or all these different things. And so I have to highlight what's, um, I have to, I have to one, not be so honest that I just tell people all the bad things because they ask. Me <laughs> about them. Um, but also I have, to, I have to frame it. Like what's, what's the strengths that the program has? What do I have? What does the school have? Everything like that. And how do I frame it? So I've been reading a lot about like salesmanship and how also not to be, like the typical stereotypical dishonest salesman, because I do want people to succeed. And I want people to know that we're like a Christian institution and we have that mindset and that's the forefront of our mission. Um, but also we get to do some cool things on the side, um, like esports. And so um, trying to put those together. And so I've been reading a lot of uh, stuff about selling products and I've been watching a lot of like YouTube videos. And I've been listening to podcasts about recruiting and different trends in recruiting and how things have changed. Like, even before COVID and how a lot of the material that was taught has changed and people are uncomfortable about maybe leaving their family or being away far away from family or cost is a big thing. Um, and so just approaching it in a different way um, than what I normally would, because I'm not necessarily a people person, but now it's like 65 to 70% of my job is just talking to people all the time. And most of the time they're going to tell me no. And so dealing with that rejection of, and I have to, I have to phrase it, fr change the frame set or the framing of my mind is that it's not that they're rejecting me. They're choosing a better option for themselves. And mm. I'm just one option on their plate. And I have to present myself in the best light. But also if I have somebody who comes to my program, who comes to our school, our university, they don't do well, they're not ready academically, or we don't have their program or, um, they, they, they have better options out there for them. Um, I want to just be an option that they choose. And when I get the right people, we know they're the right people and they succeed rather than come here and they're kind of mediocre. Um, and, um, and luckily I have, you know, an admission staff and a, a supervisor who agrees with me on that point that we want the right people, not, not a lot of people. So, right. Uh, that's, well, okay, that's a lot so of what I've been reading. Um, you just said two things. Speaking of principles derived from 
just Ray Dalio, but just in general, based on you said two things that I stuck. I was like, oh, okay, that's a principle just for life. Uh, one, you t- you talked about you have you have to having to get better at something you're not naturally good at so that you can do your job. And two, you said they're not rejecting me; they're making a better decision for themselves, which I, I would like to come back to that one. But so you have you like your job. There's aspects of your job that you don't necessarily, you're not naturally gifted at, but you're because to do your job well, you need to get better in that area. So I like that because a lot of guys I talk to, they'll like, yeah, I'm just not passionate about this portion or I just, I'm not good at that. Maybe that's for someone else. They almost like, um, self-sabotage themselves because there's something they're just not good at when in life there's a lot that you're just not good at and it takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of study to grow in that area. There's almost this like over specialization that people are after. So could you like, you're trying to get better at your job so you can do your job better, even though it's not natural. Yeah. Um, that's, and that, that was actually something that took me, um, a little bit to realize. So I started this job to, um, two years ago, basically about 20, 26 months ago, I started this job. Um, and a lot of it I thought was, well, I need to, you know, learn all these video games. I need to, you know, have this structure built, this practice structure, this organization. And I'm a coach. I got to show these leadership skills. I got to show how to do a practice. I got these different teams I got to manage. Um, and, but it turns out that was, a very small portion of the job. Like it's still mm-hmm. very, very important. Um, and those things make for a successful program, but if you don't have people in your program, it's not successful. So, right. and I have people who graduate, I have people who maybe don't do so well academically, so they can't come back. So I got to replace these and I got to, I got to work on this, but I found out that this part that I'm the worst at also unluckily, unluckily enough is the part I like, hate the most (laughs) and like like, just knowing that i have to cold call people sometimes yeah and i just got a cold call and i just gotta like sit on there leave a voicemail hang up do it again and that's what i had to do i don't have to do it as much anymore but in the first year that's what i had to do because it was a brand new program that didn't have any established players or anything i had to build it from scratch um so i just had to take a different approach to it of i had to change my mindset no okay, what are the aspects of this job that I like and how much of my time is actually spent there? And I think probably with most people, the job, the parts of their job that they love, that they absolutely love, that make them, even after a terrible day, that will make them wake up again and say, yeah, this job is worth it no matter what. It's it's like maybe 5 to 10% that they actually love. There's probably a lot of things that you like about your job, but actually love about your job is probably very, very small. And I think a lot of times people hope that they can find a job that 80% of their job they love. And, and that's, it's just not a reality. And, um, and, th- and there's always just going to be portions that you just don't like. And, and sometimes those are big portions. Um, but for me, I, I just start to think about what are the things that I absolutely love about my job and, um, and the, the, the things that came to mind were when I have players who show growth as individuals, not necessarily as players, um, but they come from different communities. They come from 
uh, different parts of the world. And they come in all, all sorts of different stages of their life. And But when I have a player who they – I can just see that they they just get it. They they stop and they, they talk to me and they ask me about their faith because – and I knew that they've been questioning it, but now they're – they had a Bible class. There was a, a, a devotional. There's something where it just kind of clicked with them. And they're like, okay, maybe I do have a future here with Christ. What mm. does that look like? Wow. So that's, that for me is big. But also like when I, you know, like I'm putting all these hours in. And when I have a student who just writes me a thank you note, just one thank you note that just says, hey, just thanks for taking me to Walmart. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's not even like, I don't mind doing it. I could take a hundred people to Walmart and they never say, thank you. I don't really care. It's just, Mm. if they need to go there, I'll take them. But when they go out of their way and they do something that's out of character for them, Mm -hmm. when I know how much, how like how different it is for them and they just really appreciate the benefit of not just me, but of the program of the school, everything like that. I'm like, yeah, I'll call, I'll call a thousand more people and get told no to get one player who comes here, who establishes their faith or grows in their faith. Um, and it's and it's worth it, and it's worth it every single time. Um, and so I have to think I have to keep those things in the back of my mind as motivation when I'm you know I'm listening to a podcast about you know the optimal time or the optimal conversations to have over the course of ten months with a high school student and their parents, you know, in October when I'm not even going to see them on campus until the next August, and having those conversations, and it's like I don't want to. I just want to go watch uh, Smash Brothers replays. That's what I want to do. Uh, right. Uh, um, I don't want to sit here and like call people or listen to this podcast while I'm exercising or whatever. Right. Um, but that's that's it's just like you have to you have to put like you know what what is it what is worth it and what does it take to get there and also if people think about quitting their jobs which is perfectly fine. But if you think about quitting your job or moving on to a different role or whatever, say, am I willing to give this up? And will I actually be able to achieve this aspect in another job, this this part mm-hmm. the, of your job that you love or, or that you feel valued in or whatever? And I think a lot of times people need to frame their mindsets. And I learned this um, through a lot of different jobs is that sometimes, sometimes the job that you have is not the best job you could be doing. It's not the best career that you could have. It's not the best job you could have, but you are the best person at this time for this job. Yeah. There are, there's, there's a reason why you need to be there. You are there either as a supervisor, a manager, just a basic employee, but you work hard, you show up on time and you actually make your manager's day so much easier. You make your employee's day so much better, whatever it is. Sometimes we get put in situations in our life where we always think about, man, I feel like I'm not doing the best I could. I feel like I could be doing something better. I'm not enjoying this so much. But if you step back and think, am I making an impact at the cost of my own enjoyment or time? (laughs) Am I making an impact in the lives of others? And then you're like, oh, actually, probably I am. All right. This actually isn't that bad. And I'm getting paid to do it to provide for myself, my family, whatever. But it just you just have to flip it sometimes and think about it as how am i benefiting the world around me because ultimately that's why we choose jobs 
And anybody who says they want to not have a job and just retire is lying because they end up finding work anyway, most people. And so it's just about finding the impact that you enjoy making. Um, not necessarily about the work that you're doing on the day to day. So you described the entire, uh, movie. Um, it's a wonderful life with those statements. <laughs> like his brother's all off on adventure and doing great stuff. And he's stuck in that little town and, but he's making all the impact in the world. He's so dissatisfied because he's not paying attention to what he's doing. I tell, I mean, I've said it a few times on my podcast and with guys I meet, like one thing I say is like, eventually work becomes work. You were, you might love it for a month, but eventually work becomes work. You like it for a year, but it eventually becomes work. But also it's amazing how much of your job you'll like if you start trying really, really hard. Even if you're, you're like, I'm not passionate about it. It's like, well, yeah, try really hard. You might become passionate about it. It's amazing what happens when you try really, really hard at whatever's in front of you. And there's also, we live in a Genesis 3 kind of world where there is, so you, you know how in Genesis 3 it says you will work by the sweat of your brow? So or you will bring food forth by the sweat of your brow. It, it basically means like you'll work in anxiety, meaning your work will not be as satisfying as you always, as you want it to be. And which is why when you start looking, when you get, I've been thinking about this because everybody's really like, I've got to figure out my purpose. I remember I was there. I've like, I got to figure out my purpose. It's like an all consuming thought, which is a privilege of being on Maslow's hierarchy, like the very top end you get to say, but it's like when that's what you have to find at the, you have so many options. It becomes like almost this different kind of burden. Um, and it's solved by figuring out how you can do the best job where you're at with whatever you have and then opening your eyes to see what kind of impact you're making around you. And that's where the, that's where the gold is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, I mean, you had text, you had texted me, um, I mean, a few weeks ago, a month ago or whatever about different topics for this podcast and everything. Mm -hmm. And talked about like people, you know, just coming out of college mm -hmm. and I don't know how many people um, I've met who a want to drop out of college or B want to change their major or once they graduate, they're like, Oh, I don't like this. I hate this. What is wrong? With I this? did all three. Yeah. <laughs> but it happens. Um, and it's okay. And it's scary, but it's okay that that happens because it's just a natural thing that you experience. A lot of people experience in college, the, the fact that they now get to make choices for their life that have impacts and they don't like them because the first big change that a lot of people actually can remember and recognize is going from middle school to high school. You don't get a choice. You're going somewhere. I don't care if you're homeschooled or private school or public school, you have to go and you're going to hate it, but it's not your fault. You didn't make that choice. You can hate your parents for moving into the school district, or you can hate your teachers for the homework. You can hate whatever you want. As soon as you choose to go into a job after high school, or you choose to go to college, or, or even after you graduate college, you choose to go to a job or career or whatever. Now that it's your choice, it sucks even more when it's when it's not a good choice or you don't think it's a good choice. Because you have no one to blame. Yeah. And you're like, you try. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. Um, and it's I think it's natural. But at the beginning. I, I need to pause you real quick. I want because I want you to say what you first said again, because that, that was like really, really, really profound. You said most people don't have to. You basically, I think you said you don't have to make your own choices until you go to college 
because you can blame somebody else. That's the first time you really have responsibility for your choices. And it now sucks because you have the responsibility that comes with freedom of choice is basically what you said. Yeah. Yeah. And so once you have that choice, you're like, it it sucks. And I think a lot of people in college or or they're early in their life, probably from ages 17 through I'd say even 24, 25, um, they, and, and they, they, you now have these consequences that you have to deal with and you can't find who to blame. So you look around and there's very, very few people who actually can blame someone else. Like actually like, Oh, they were, you know, their parents made them go to a school. Sometimes that happens or whatever. So you can blame somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, you got married at a young age, so you're just having to go into a job that you didn't want to necessarily. Um, there's a lot of things that you can blame, but I think ultimately in the people what ends up happening is the sooner you can decide, I have to pay my consequences. I have to pay the dues for these choices that I've made. I think people just get set, not like they're just resolved and they're happy. They're just become at peace with the fact that when they make a decision, it's their decision. But when you make a good decision, it means so much more. Yeah. It, it like means everything because you made that good decision and it wasn't forced for you. And there's a lot of, it's funny because there's a lot of articles and stuff. Um, how people talk about how uh, millennials or Generation Z, they're, they're taking longer to mature. And this is like something like psychological studies you can do. There's extra changes in the develop, development of the brain. There's a biological change. There's a sociological change of people who, you know, they get out of college and they come back home and live, or maybe they don't go to college right away and they live with their parents or they live at home and they have all these different things and that it's happening more and more. And um, people are that, that adolescent time period that usually, or that used to stop around 17 or 18 is now being extended to 22, 24, 26. And there's a lot of different factors. It's not just a personal choice there's a psychological development change there's a biological development change and there's a sociological uh, development change that's happening and it's kind of hard to blame any one generation but but i remember reading an article about it i don't know when i was in high school or when i was in college or something but do you think you could give three examples real quick i can think of one of like a socioeconomic reality that forces people back home and that's like just the price it cost to live, you know, like buying a house in 1970 was on average twice your annual income. That was the price. So if you made 60,000, you typically bought a house that was 120,000 and there were houses that were that now the average is about 10 times the, your average annual salary, which is nuts. Like how are you, how are you supposed to buy a house? that's 10 times, you know, unless you live in York, Mm -hmm. Nebraska. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, uh, Yes, I, I would say so like a biological change is the so a lot of hormones are controlled by the pituitary gland. And so mm-hmm. how it releases hormones and when it releases hormones um, changes when a person develops. So, for example, if you look at and it's you can't do studies like biological studies this far back, but you can look at cortisol levels, which is a way that you can measure measure stress and everything. So if you mm-hmm. think about somebody who they were 16 years old mm-hmm. and they weren't going to school in 1915. They were working. Usually they were working the family trade. Mm-hmm. They didn't get a choice of what to, ha- what to do. And so they, um, 
or if they if you wait 15 years later 1930 everything is good two years ago and now it's not so good really? and you're ha- like the economy the dust bowl everything is is gone and you are having to adjust to that well those people matured very 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 fast because they had to they, right. they didn't have a choice like and it wasn't like it wasn't a parental choice parents parents were just like we have no other choice except to make you go out and work at 12 years old in right. the dust and you're just like okay i guess this is reality because everybody else is doing it yeah but now um so that that's like one thing is like people just were forced to do like life circumstances were different so they were forced and it had a biological do. effect yes okay. and so you can actually measure stress levels and stuff and the biggest um evidence of this is people who went off to war in 1918 or or ni- like 1916 or 1940 was they're they put in life situations where they just had to mature so much faster hmm. um but the difference is is that their parents weren't in war necessarily there's not a lot of people who are their parents were in 19 in the first world war and then the second world war but they were there's just a, a, a just enough of a gap um, where people weren't necessarily having the same psychological consequences of this. And then you see it again in like the sixties and seventies of that. Now these like parents are coming back with, um, who they're, they're not, they're having kids in a wartime situation and not the best economic situations, but people are struggling more with realities that they're just presented with in their life. And so you see slowly, basically what, what becoming an adult starts the change um, because you get more choices in life, um, but also because life gets a little bit better. And so because it gets better and you're not forced to do all these things as a child, you're actually able to go to high school and get an education. And now you have options on what to do. Um, and I'm specifically talking about post-World War II now, but you have options that you didn't have before that your, that your parents didn't have, that your grandparents didn't have. And so, their only choice, like a, a 20 year old in 1918, just had to be an adult. But being adult did not mean, you know, investing in stocks. It did not mean yeah. buying a house. You inherited a house or mm-hmm. you, you worked on a farm and you were provided housing and then you eventually bought a house. Um, but, but slowly, I think just realities have changed a little bit. And I think, go ahead. So it's almost like wealth actually slows down how fast you have to grow up. Like as a nation gets richer and more options become available, it actually slows down how fast you have to grow up. Interesting. Um, Yeah. I mean, because like if your parents, if every generation is on average wealthier than the generation before it, even with financial crisis of the 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, 2008, it's always wealthier because there's more money. We just get more efficient as an economy. As a society, we get more efficient. Wealth may not be distributed equally, but it's it's. But everybody on a whole gets richer and healthier, and you can actually live as a child longer. And so developmental stages are stretched out. So people are like, it's a, it's it's funny that people sometimes look at how millennials or Generation Z their childhood gets extended past age 17 and goes up to now 24 or 25 but then you look at retirement on the other side it's like yeah well people also are living retirement a lot longer right and then people are like well how come i have to work so much longer it's like well you were dying at 68 you know 50 (laughs) years ago so 
you know, if you want to live this, they like they didn't have a retirement because they didn't there wasn't retirement is work. And then you're just, you're just dead. And so that's like, <laughs> it, it didn't like matter anymore. And people are like, well, now I got to work and, and I want to like, just, then I got to spend 20 years. I want to spend 20 years in retirement. Why do I have to work for this long? It's like, you, you now have the choice not to like, you can live a much more simpler life of a, a less wealthy life. If you want and retire early, or you can go to a different country, you just have more options now. So the comparisons that happen are much more out there. And this is like, Social media and like um, globalization is the biggest thing that started to happen with the internet is that you can actually know what's happening anywhere in the world at any time. So you can know how your situation is relative to everybody else's yeah. very, very quickly. And so it makes you think that your wor- that your life is much, much worse when before you could just compare the dude that's a quarter mile down the dirt road. Yeah. Like, hey, well, I got two goats and he's only got th- he's only got one. So. Yeah, that's that's probably the single most detrimental thing that's happened is the ability to compare yourself to the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so would you say – we'll circle back because you're talking about responsibility. When you are post in college, post-college, you have to make your choices for the first time. Um, so the fastest way to grow up, whether you are rich or poor, no matter the circumstances, no matter the biological – the socioeconomic or anything, the fastest way to grow up is actually to take on as much responsibility as you can handle at that moment. Cause that'll force you to grow up. Um, yeah, I think, um, yes, like te- technically, yes, you could, and you could find the, the perfect amount of responsibility, um, where you could like, fine tune the cortisol levels that your brain is developing. And so that you get just amount, just the right amount of acute stress and just the amount of chronic stress. So you can be an adult as soon as possible. Um, but I think, um, I think, I think the, we, and this is kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is sometimes as humans, we have a hard time realizing when things are changing and we don't want them to change. Um, yes. For example, like you were talking about houses, everybody wants to own a house because that's what you could do 50 years ago. Um, you didn't own a house. Um, well, like 60 years ago, 50 years ago was the seventies and that was a terrible time to try to buy a house. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So but but not, just back, to be semantical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but you like it, it wasn't necessarily normal to own a house or to own property um, 200 years ago. Like it's, it's a very new thing to own property. Yep. And, um, and a lot of people would rent or they'd live with family, like a very communal living aspect. And now it's like, no, I want to own a house just with me and my wife. And we don't have kids yet, but we got a cat. And, you know, this, this should be a normal thing for me to own a four bedroom, two bath house because I live and it's like, well, yes. I mean, if you want it all to be fair across time, sure. It's not going to happen because also you need polio if you want it to be fair. Um, <laughs> like I think people just get confused of like how, like, Hey, as time advances, we should get more good things and less bad things. And I think it's pretty historical and biblical to say, no, you just get different good things and different bad things. Like, yeah. It's it's just how it goes. Yeah, you're not gonna yeah. you're not gonna escape bad stuff. And sorry to circle back to Age of Entitlement, but the basic premise of that book was like 
the first half starts with the socialistic utopia and sexual revolution of utopia and basically says Reagan was after the same utopia, but it was economic. And it was he's like, it's two sides of the same coin. Like, it'll blow your mind because it's like, get rid of as much bad as possible so everybody can have utopia. It's like, it can't, you can't do that. You yeah. live in a, you live in a fallen world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to, and to go back on to your point about responsibility, I think, I think what happens is people, um, I think what it means to be responsible changes. And I think people get confused on what, um, like the cost of responsibility. Cause people, I think people say like, Oh yeah, I'm fine. I want to own a house or I want to have like a good income or I want to have a family, but they forget that these things are, have serious costs and consequences mm -hmm. that you have to be prepared for and that you're not going to like, yeah. um, I hate shoveling my walk. Um, I, I can't stand it. And I was just talking with my wife today, how we have to build a retaining wall on our front lawn because it's just falling apart and the dirt's just sliding down onto the sidewalk. And I'm like, well, this is what we got to do. You know, if I was renting a house or renting an apartment, um, you call the landlord. Yeah. And this isn't my problem. Like, and so, but that's what I want. And, and now I just got married eight months ago and now I have to be aware and be responsible for taking care of her and taking like being responsible for our schedules mm -hmm. and making sure we're spending time with each other. And it's a very, very good thing. And it's just, I'm willing to pay that consequence and the pain or uh, pay the cost of that responsibility of being yeah. married. And, um, and so I think, I think, um, as, as people change and as society changes as a whole, um, the costs and the consequences change. And yeah. um, I think it makes it harder to know when things aren't fair mm -hmm. um, because you can look at your friends and it could be, ah, maybe they're really not traveling to Bali every weekend, but it sure looks like they are. And I <laughs> yeah, don't they like took 200 them. pictures and they just post one a week for yeah. a year. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like, oh, well, you know, Elon Musk was just worth $350 billion and I only have uh, 200 in my account. That doesn't seem fair. Well, JD Rockefeller had way more money than the dude building the rails, but you just didn't know that he was worth that much. Right. You may not have like, you did probably didn't even know who he was. Like you, you were working for him. And so just the knowledge becomes like just so unfair. Um, but, but with that knowledge, like now um, contributions to people who, who live a life that's less than you um, weren't possible before globalization. Like if you had, a, if you wanted to support a, a missionary mm -hmm. in, you know, India and you didn't know what they were doing or what their needs were because it took, you know, two months to get a letter back. And mm -hmm. by that time things have changed and yeah. like, but now you can actually contribute to these things. You can know about bad things and good things that are happening so fast. And I think too bad we look at like, oh, look at all these things that are good that are not happening to me without looking at, well, here's all the good that I can do for the world around me. Mm -hmm. And so I think people kind of forget like that they have so many, we have so many options now today in our world um, to, to benefit the world around us. And we kind of, don't think about them in the same way we think about bad things. Like we think about yeah. good things 
differently than they think about bad things. And um, it's just, uh, it's hard to train your mind to think that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it takes time. Well, so we, I think we live in like a Deuteronomy 8 kind of world. Deuteronomy 8 is basically God's warning to Israel. He's like, look, you're going to end up in a place in houses you did not build with vineyards that you didn't plant and wine that you didn't like reap and you're gonna have wealth that you didn't ask and you're gonna be puffed up in your mind and think start only thinking about yourself um that's it like that's his warning in deuteronomy 8 and he's like don't do that and we kind of that's like the world we live in this, this is what the bible is the most relevant book in the world you just find you find yourself at one different part of it no matter yeah. where you are and you're right we i think we live in kind of a um, an age where we have so many options and you're able to compare with so many people, it actually makes you feel like you're stagnant. And um, when I talk about responsibility, I mean, I don't, I think you, you have to start with taking responsibility for what's in front of you. So, I mean, if you just break down the word, it's your ability to respond to, to what, to what's in front of you. So like, I know a lot, plenty of people who are irresponsible and own a house. You're like, man, that thing's going to fall down on you because you haven't taken care of anything. Um, but your first option to grow in responsibility is is how you respond to what's in front of you. How do you respond to that job you don't like, like you were talking about? Do you do you own it? Do you try to get better? Or do you just sit there and complain? That's your first area. You start with those little small things and then you get you find you're able to handle bigger things. Um, more, just maybe not necessarily more important, but just different things your field grows your field of responsibility grows um wow that that was a really really insightful monologue that you just went on <laughs> you also have a you have a great historical perspective that we are good to be reminded of i think so one of the reasons i've like gotten into history the last couple of years is because it's very sobering to the world the phrase the world should be blank like because everybody's kind of got it no it should be blank or you know no matter what you think or what you believe it everybody's got a it should be blank in a, a a study of history across the ages will just beat that out of you <laughs> like <laughs> there is no it should be blank but you shouldn't like wonder why is it that every person alive has the ability or has that question on their heart? Like it shouldn't be as it currently is. Well, that's because you were meant for a different world. That's the, that's CS Lewis's basic, basic argument in, uh, um, mere Christianity. Um, but when you have a historical perspective, you're also going to be a little bit more gracious to yourself and not, and not think oh, I should be further along than I am. It's like, well, Maybe, maybe not. Like, yeah. what were you? What were you dealt in life? How have you handled what's in front of you? So, like, me at twenty-seven, I can, in all honesty, say, I probably should have been further along than I was, but I wasn't because I made stupid choice after stupid choice after stupid choice after stupid choice, and those three things you talked about: change manager, drop out of college, and hate your job. I did all three. And like, um, like, okay. So when I, but when I was able to own it, when I was able to be like, I am not where I want to be because of my own actions. There's no one for me to blame. 
there's not, I don't even have to like necessarily blame myself. I just accept this is how, this is where I am and I get to move forward. It's actually why I don't edit this podcast is because you don't get to edit your life. I don't get to take back anything. You don't get to take back anything. You just, you just, it is what it is. And you move forward, you make the most of it and let it be, you accept your story. And, um, all that to say you, that was a very, very insightful monologue. I'm that I'm going to have to re-listen to because there's, there's like three or four episodes that I can maybe five that I can just steal from what you said and make it my own. Um, I wanted to touch on, uh, the other thing that you had mentioned. So they're not rejecting you. They're choosing a better option for themselves. Um, in, I worked in young adult ministry for six years and everybody between 23 and 25 that every single person had this quarter life crisis that you kind of just described what I have to, I hate, this is not the world I thought I was going to be going after college or whatever. This is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, and with that comes a lot of, she didn't want to go out with me. He didn't want to go out with me. They didn't like me at this job for this reason. Um, these people didn't like me and they're small. Like there's just all these, like what feels like a lot of just rejection. Um, and yours is a little bit, you're recruiting, but you said they're choosing a better option for themselves. Do you have anything to expand on that? Um, I think, I think, um, well, like, so when I, when I first started like trying to keep that mindset, a lot of it was um, because I just I feel like it was I was just like you know I was putting my numbers together I'm I'm calling this many people I'm putting the work in yet it's not panning out mm-hmm. and I have to and I'm like well what am I doing wrong what's wrong with me maybe this isn't the job for me whatever but I had to start thinking I was like um, I, I tried to flip it around and just be like okay well when have I turned something down, rejected something, told somebody no. And I knew a hundred percent that I was making the right decision. So like job offers, you know, I've, I've applied for different jobs and sometimes I had to choose between two different jobs and I knew I was making the right decision. I knew I was, but I was rejecting somebody. Hmm. And so if I think about it, like, man, I probably have these students, these 18, 17 year old students who are telling me, no, but they're making the best decision that they think they're making at that moment. And probably they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't have the authority to say, no, they're all wrong. They should come to York university. Um, <laughs> I don't have uh, I shouldn't have that much confidence in my abilities or my, my job. But, um, but a lot of times, most of the time when, when you get rejected, the other person is probably very confident that they're making the right decision. And that happens in relationships. That'll happen in jobs. That'll happen in promotions. That'll that'll happen a lot. And, and sometimes you'll be selfish. And sometimes you'll just get the the bad end of the stick, and it will not. And it, it won't be fun. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's like the world is falling apart. And it doesn't mean that there's not opportunities for you to learn and grow from it. Um, and so I, I just had to flip that around and just be like change my mindset to just be like, okay, well, you know what? I wish you the best of luck. I, I know that I know the school you're going to, I know it's a good school. I know the coach will probably see each other compete. I I really hope that this works out for you. 
And um, I hope to see you in the future. I hope to see like I hope to see you successful in the future because if I really, if I truly, truly want students to come to my program, to come to our school, and to grow and be successful, then I'm okay with them doing that exact same process at a different school. Now, if I just want numbers, if I just want yeah. to make my like pad my bottom line and make me look good, yeah. Uh, then yeah, of course I should be upset that they aren't coming here. But if I'm honest and true with myself and be like. I will get the students I need to get. And if I trust God that I will have the students in my program, that um, that'll get there, that it'll happen as long as I'm working, as long as I'm doing my best. Um, and as long as those things are happening, then um, it will work out for the best. And it may not seem like it is the best, but it is the best. Yeah. Well, and you have to like, you have to let go of the outcome for, mm. for so much. You actually can't control the outcome for pretty much anything in your life. And um, I should have written it down on my little phone, on my phone here. Cause you, what did you say? I was like, Ooh, there's something there. Um, Oh, so even when it took, how long were you frustrated with your job before you started getting, trying to get better at uh, recruiting? Um, I mean, I'm so frustrated with my job. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. So, hey, well, that's fine. That's fine. So <laughs> how long have you been listening to the podcast and reading and trying to get better? Um, It was probably, I mean, it's it probably about a, maybe a year, year and a half ago. Like, so probably six to eight months into the job, I realized, man, um, my numbers for this first, so basically it was the first recruiting cycle that I had in 2021 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um started in january got to get people here by august and i started like realizing man a lot of people are telling me no in this last six weeks i was like i was for sure i was like something's wrong i'm doing something wrong and then so i had to reevaluate and then i had a second recruiting cycle that was a little bit better mm -hmm. and i was a little bit more confident in it, and i was like okay these things are i'm throwing these up against the wall these things are sticking but there's so much more that i'm not taking advantage of and mm -hmm. i'm using my I'm not using all of my time maybe as wisely or as efficiently as possible. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going for a run and I'm listening, if I'm listening to something, I'm like, what if I, what if instead for this 30 minute run, what if I listen to a recruiting podcast instead? Mm -hmm. Or what if I read this article? Um, what if I just did a little bit more? How much more would that help me? Yeah. And, um, and I started just kind of, being okay with critiquing myself and um uh, but also one thing that i did and I'm, i have to work on is i have to set realistic goals because otherwise i'll always look like a failure <laughs> <laughs> yeah you do that you do have to do that mate you but hold on before you get into realistic goals there are three principles that you just uh, that i'm like uh so rejection made you uh, critique yourself and figure out, okay, what do I need to actually get better at? So instead of being a victim to like, ah, uh, maybe I'm just not good about this. I should move. You're like, you took the rejection and you were like, what am I missing? So you looked for a way to get better. That's also an aspect of responsibility is you're like, I'm the only one here who's in charge of recruiting. So there's gotta be something that I can do to get better. Um, and then what was the other? Oh, investing your time. So in, you have opportunity to listen to a podcast you want to listen to for your own pleasure, or you can do use that time 
to make you better at what you've been asked or tasked to do at this time in your life. So that's a way to invest your time. And I've, I've done episodes of that because I'm, I'm kind of big on that, making good use of your time um, for what you've been asked or tasked to do without working 80 hours a week because that is not a good use of time either. Um, mm-hmm. Unless you're an auditing accountant at a big firm and it's tax season, that is a completely good use of time. Audrey. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember the third one, but so there's at least two principles there that you were, you were like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to turn this rejection into an opportunity to get better instead of letting it be defeating. And I'm going to make use of my time to get better. That's good. Yeah. And I think it was, I mean, it's, um, I took, I took like a principle that, um, I mean, I can't remember where I heard it, but I, I must've been in high school or something, but it didn't really click on how to adjust it. But it was something like it was, it was two thorn or two roses and a thorn or something like that. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Like take what's two positive takes takeaways and what's one negative takeaway. Like what are, Hmm. what are those two? And I think that you, I think people can take that and adjust the ratio. So that's a two to one positive negative. And if you're kind of hard on yourself and you're a little critical, yeah, maybe you should do two to one. Maybe you should do three to one. You have to tell yourself what you're doing good at and be honest with yourself and don't lie to yourself. So if you don't lie to yourself and you say, what are two good things that I'm doing? But also what's one thing I can do that's better. Some people are the exact opposite and they, um, they are just so confident in their abilities that they're like 12 roses, no thorns. Yeah. And then they got to switch it. They got to do, okay, I give myself one thorn because it makes me feel good. And I mean, or one rose, and then I'm going to do two thorns or three thorns. Because I really got to motivate myself mm-hmm. and be like, how, how can I actually improve in this? Um, and it's, it's something that I try and think about a lot of like when I'm getting really either down on myself or like, you know, sometimes it'll just happen where I'm talking to recruits and I get three cancels in a day. And it's been like, a while since I've got anybody who's like a positive response or like nobody's responded to my text messages. I was like, okay, well, you know, there goes just crossing off the list, sending those emails over to the admissions department and being like, Hey, by the way, this person's not coming. I'm sorry. You know, like all these different things, it's kind of hard and you can beat yourself up, but it can also be like, you can be at work and you can get a reprimand or you can show up late or, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can do or that can happen that aren't your fault that aren't like, aren't anything that, that you could have done. It's just other people making, just living their life. Mm-hmm. They're living their life and you're just, it's just negatively affecting you or at least in your mindset. And you just have to say that there is a process here and there's a long-term effect, you know, like if you're, I don't know exactly the time frame on this. I don't have a kid. What's the time frame on potty training a child? Around two years. Okay. So you're coming up on it. We're coming up on it. Thank yeah. God, because so, I'm I'm spending every dollar I make on diapers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually sent I sent Chels. Um, there's somebody, a mom made a one of those like reels, Instagram reels, the short videos, and it was like, how much money do you spend on diapers every month? And it cut to a clip of Biden when he had the one of his Biden gas when he was like seven hundred billion trillion million dollars, <laughs> and I was like, "That's ex- that's exactly what it feels like to buy diapers 
every three weeks because they just go through so many. Yeah. yeah. So if you like take that mindset and you're like, you know, you're a parent, you're trying to keep, teach your kid how to potty train. And they're like, at first they're like, oh, this is a cool idea. I like it. I get the cool little small miniature toilet next to the big one that mom and dad use. This is awesome. I love it. And you're like, oh, this is this is sweet. And all of a sudden, like you think you're good. You take the diaper off and all of a sudden they're just pooping on your leg during a movie. And you're like, what is wrong with you, child? Are you kidding me? And I can say that because I have been pooped on and peed on it when, I've been, when I was babysitting when I was in high school. But uh-huh. that's like it's like there's you have to remember okay this is a process to things yeah things take time and if you if you're use any sort of statistics or math in your life at all you have to know like if you're going to flip a coin you got to get like heads in order to get tails and it just has to equal out to 50 50 and and i have to think about that in my in my um, world is that you know if i talk to if i got a 10 percent retention rate at each level you know, if I want to get 10 students to come to my program, I need to have 10 students who are, or I need to have like 20 students who are accepted, which means I need to have like 40 students who are, who get apply, who apply to our school. And that means I need to call like 400 students. Like, whoa, that's about, that's about what the ratios are depending and the program changes, but that's what every coach across America is doing for college is, is they're having those ratios and you're trying to think about it and you're like, okay, well, well for every rejection I get, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a, a positive or I'm going to get one tenth of a positive. One t- but it's just Mike, that is a lot of rejection. 400 calls. Yeah. Yeah. And that's successful programs. That's not where I'm at yet. I'm talking yeah. a lot more people than that, but that's like what it happens. And, mm-hmm. and you have to just remember, you have to just trust that there's a process. There's people who've done this before you, there's ways to learn. There's, there's things that you can do mm-hmm. and you just have to trust yourself that, are you working hard? Are mm-hmm. you getting up every day? And are you working hard? And are you doing everything you can? And are you maintaining a positive mindset where you're, you're, you're building slowly, but securely, you're not just building fast and um, just breaking things, but you're just actually yeah. just moving forward at a, at a good one step at a time. And um, you're just taking the time that you need. Yeah. You don't want to be like that Jesus, the parable where Jesus is like the seed falls in among rocky soil and it springs up fast, but it has no root, so it just collapses. There's actually a there's a proverb. It's it's probably um it's top ten for me. It's a it's um the man who tends his fig tree will eat its fruit. Fig trees don't produce fruit for about six years. So you're just yeah. taking care of a tree. Think about something. Could you think of anything more boring than taking care of a tree so that you can get its fruit? It takes six years. Um, yeah. And what I think I'm, what I'm learning, even now at 31, I think it's finally clicking for me that the only way to have any form of success, however you measure success, is diligence and not giving up. Yeah. Like it, it's like, what does it come down to? Uh, you just didn't stop trying. It's like, um, with as much, I mean, you could try forever. Like I could try forever to be an NFL player. I thought it just would never happen, but where you are putting in effort, being diligent is a great way to become successful. It's like the way to become successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, 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 it's very hard and it just takes a lot of time and strength. 
encourage. And I think that's what's hard is that in um, if we if we go back to what we were talking about earlier, about people, young people who are entering into their adult life or whatever at seventeen, eighteen, twenty, mm-hmm. um, they are <clears throat> time up until that point. If you believe anything about Einstein, time is relative, and it seems like it's going so slow. And so you have so much time in the world to make decisions. You have so much time to do these things. And the satisfaction level or, the, or how fast you get satisfied with things in life is very, very quick. Like you like because the way time moves in a kid's head, it's like you all of a sudden you're like you wake up and then all of a sudden it's nap time and then you're eating and then you're like bedtime and like what happened? And they don't they can't comprehend that there's differences in the day. But I was thinking the other day, I was like, my gosh, it was six years ago that this thing happened in my photos timeline or whatever. I was like, that was six years ago. I feel like that was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And, but so much has happened in that time. And I wouldn't have like, you know, I was 24. I was like all these, like, it was just a very, very different life. And and so I think with young people think like, um, that things the work that they see people do, they see these videos, they see they and they talk to people, they say, Wow, you're 35 and you've already done this. I could do that by 24. And they're like, Your math is off there, bud. I'm sorry. Way one's off. One's twelve years and one's two years. Yeah. Yeah, time just a rip off Einstein. Time is slow, but it also moves at the speed of light. I think about that all the time. So six years ago, I was leaving Olive Garden to take a free internship. And then I was driving after that experience, I was driving for Lyft. And then I was, let's see, I did internship, Lyft, rental property, personal trainer, hired at the church, five jobs in one year between 25 and halfway through 26. And then hired at the church and I made 28 grand and I was stuck there until I was 28. And then suddenly something happened and it just took off financially. But then also I got married and had a baby and moved across the country. It's like, it's like slow, 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 slow. And then like, like a rocket, it like takes off and you just never know. And so you, but in those moments, it feels like it's taking forever, forever. Yeah. Like, but it's also yeah. moving at the speed of light. Like I had a moment with Noah today where I, I was like, she wanted to play and I wanted, I was like, I need to fold all this laundry. Cause I'm one, I'm like so conscientious about when stuff has to get done. I just want it taken care of. Um, that's where I've gotten in my life. I want my laundry done. And I just had a moment of like, she's only, 19 months and eager for dad like one time yeah i was like i'll throw the laundry on the ground (laughs) for now i folded it later but it's just like you six months ago she was we were celebrating her first birthday and she had just learned to walk and she was that toy that you got her she could like barely touch the top of it the little walker toy and mm-hmm. today I took a picture of it. She climbed on top of it to look out the window. I'm like, <laughs> stop. 
so even like yeah even the little moments like that it's like yeah it's really really slow but then all it's also really really fast yeah um yeah when i was i i read something i mean years ago and it actually changed the way i think about family mm. so so much Ooh, i'm all it, about it, it. Is, this person was saying don't ever think about how much time you have left with a person whether it's your parents, your friends, your siblings, whatever. Don't ever think about how much time you have left because you got an infinite amount of time. Like whether it's you're counting in minutes, you're counting in seconds, you're counting days, years, it doesn't matter. You got, you got a lot of time left. Hmm. And so you don't do anything with it. But if you think about the moments that you have, hmm. how many times, and so he's asking this person, is during an interview, they're asking how many times do you see your parents a year? And they're like, ah, I've seen like two to three times. And he's like, and how old are they? And he's like, ah, they're about 70. And he's like, okay, so you will see your parents probably 10 more times before they die. And he's like, Oh, that's really sad. That was, that is a depressing comment. Yeah. And so if you think about our parents and that's I'd rather, like, I'd rather not. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> that changed for me. Cause I was like, I was like, man, this is very, very important to me. Mm -hmm. I love visiting my family. I love hanging out with my family. And if I do the math, I could count very quickly how many times more I get to see my family. Mm -hmm. in my life. Guaranteed dad's life. crying right now. I know. And it's, <laughs> it kind of sucks if you think about it, but, uh -huh. but it's so important to remember that mm -hmm. and to make the most of those moments. So just like you're talking about with Noah is you, you will be able to fold more laundry more times in your life than you'll be able to see, like play with your 19 month old right. daughter. Right. And, and even when you're, your kid, your second kid, even when he's 19 months old, it's not going to be the same. It's going to no, be awesome. Right. It's not going to be the same. Yeah. And, and it, that like completely changed the way I think about things is like, um, I only get so many times to do something and, and it's, it's kind of easy to think like, um, like I, I joke with my wife all the time, like, yeah, I've got, you know, 80 more years or whatever, because I keep joking that we're going to live to 110. I don't know. I hope so, but probably not. <laughs> hey, that's a better joke than I tell my wife. I tell her she's got like 30 years with me left. <laughs> she hates it. Like, don't talk yeah, like tell, that. I tell the odds that we'll live for 80 more years, but I'll be in a walker in about five, you know, so <laughs> she can. Um, but, but you think about it and you're like, okay, how many more? how many more times hmm. like you can, you can count like, Oh, for 80 more years, I get the, you know, wake up next to my wife or whatever, hmm. or you could probably count up. Okay. How many more times do I get to go to bed with her? Hmm. You know, when we're not stressed or tired, like those, those few moments that you have that are like, Oh, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, I can just like roll over, get on my phone. I mean, I wonder how many YouTube videos I can swipe through. You know? <laughs> um, or how many, like, how much longer can I just lay here and just enjoy this moment? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's just hard to sometimes put things in perspective and make things like relative to each other. Yeah. But, um, you and I, we're talking like we're 60 years old. <laughs> we're young. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to think like you're old while you're still young because then you act. As if you have limited wisdom time, is with the, with the prudent. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. You, that's like, yeah. So 
because I am, I mean, in a world where the number one draw for people under 30 is to be successful, that's the number one thing people list. Like, what do you want in your life? I want to be successful. Um, successful, financially secure, independent. Top three things, according to, uh, I think it's Barna, when they surveyed a bunch of Gen Z people under 30. Those were the top three things they wanted. Marriage wasn't even in the top 10. Uh, friendships, I think, was like number nine. Hyper-individualistic. When you start to think about like how what actually matters in life. And when you start to figure, hey, where am I going to take responsibility? Where am I going to invest my time? What am I going to waste my time arguing about? Um, Or any of the number of things that we talked about on this podcast. Um, What it comes down to is you get a few moments with people who are special in your life that matter the most, which is why like on this podcast, we talk about start with your family. If work is your number one priority, you're out of order. Start with your family, then your church, and then your work. And it is the most satisfying way to live. Um, Maybe less glory, but every successful person I know. I went through the YouTube channel, the uh, Motivation Hub. Have you heard of this YouTube channel? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Almost every single person on there that was like uber successful and had a motivation video had ruined their family. Like every single one. It's like, wow, you, uh, that is one way to forfeit your soul and gain the world. This is like, but there's like millions of views. And you're like, oh, just maybe it's not good advice. But, um, yeah. Speaking yeah. of though, cause it's 944 where I am. And I'm sure my wife is eager for me to come join her. <laughs> and we've had it that, that hour and 25 minutes. That was a great conversation. Yeah. Um, I usually, yeah, I don't, usually re-listen to these podcasts um because i don't want to hear my own voice but i want to re-listen to that because you had you had some man you had some gold in there and very very fascinating so thank you for coming on we'll have to have you on again this one will probably be in the top five <laughs> poor dylan Maybe. dylan hasn't hit cracked the top five yet i don't think actually let me look so oh, well here actually for uh one 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 comment I had you yeah. guys, you and Dylan on when you guys recorded for his podcast, yep. which check check him out. Um, I know he's on YouTube. I can't find him anywhere else on the podcast apps I listen to. But um, oh, the, he changed his name. Coffee with Dylan. Oh, That's what I thought I searched, but because I I listen to po- I listen to his on YouTube and I listen to yours through Spotify. But mm-hmm. I listen to all my other podcasts on Pocket Cast. But um, you guys were talking about books. Dylan was at least was talking about books that he reads every year. Yeah. And one book that I think everybody, everybody should add to their list every single year and actually probably every single month because it's so short is reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Yes. I read it. That's probably the book I've read the most. Um, What's your favorite chapter in Ecclesiastes chapter nine, man. I don't know. Probably. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think I have a favorite because I just like that's for me, that's been like probably the most, um, perspective changing book that I have mm-hmm. or, or book that I read mm-hmm. is just because um, too often we think that our world is so much better or so much worse than it's ever been before. And it's like, nah, sorry, dude. It's not, <laughs> not even close. Nope. It's exactly the same. What if I told you that? What if it was exactly the same? Yeah. Like the details have changed. Yeah. The colors have changed. That's it. 
Um, but none of that matters. But everything else, the problems that you have is exactly the same. And that no matter what, it's all the same. And it's all going to be the same mm-hmm. forever. And until Jesus comes back down and everything. But it's like, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting thing to think about. So I recommend people read that as much as possible. I agree. Um, so my last couple of Wisdom Wednesday podcasts have been out of Ecclesiastes. Um, I love it. The reason I said chapter nine is because it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Um, mm. Well, no, that's, that's yeah, that is chapter nine. Because before that it says, enjoy the wife with the one, or enjoy your life with the wife that you love. Um, and whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I love that. No. I love that. That's a good recommendation. Yeah. And then if you're with, since you're like doing this, like history, um, um, experience, I guess, um, go to an old bookstore. Mm-hmm. Okay. And find a book from decades ago, find a book that explained the world at that moment. So find a book from like the 1960s mm-hmm. and it's written in like find a book that was written in 1962 about, Okay, and it's a very, very specific subject of like, okay, here's the problems this we are having at this time that will revolutionize the world and just read it and just think this is what people thought was like the biggest deal. And it actually wasn't. And it's actually like it's it's crazy to think about it. So I have a few books that I have a, I have a big uh, pile of books that I have to read or get rid of because our bookshelf is full. Mm-hmm. And so um, a bunch of them are like that. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, what what is the um city one of them's like a city planning book like okay the problems of detroit city planning in the 1950s here's the problems that we have that we have to fix right now i'm not saying if they fixed their city they wouldn't have gone bankrupt 10 years ago but you know (laughs) but it's like very interesting to think of like this is what somebody sat down and they wrote and this got published and this was read and this was like so important Mm -hmm. at the time and what are we writing or reading now that's like Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's like doomsday stuff. Actually, probably doesn't matter. Or no. it's just interesting to think about how people thought, you know, seventy years ago mm-hmm. about the world around them. So I literally just bought a book, a history book called Doom, by a guy named Neil Ferguson. He's one of my favorite historians to read. He's a he's ex, but he's a fascinating historian. Um, and so this book Doom is called The Politics of Catastrophe, and he examines different catastrophes throughout history and how people responded. Mm-hmm. Um. And he wrote it during the uh, pandemic, COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, oh yeah. But I dude, that that's a that's actually a really good piece of wisdom. Go buy something that's really old. My favorite historian to read is a guy named Paul Johnson. Uh, he was a Christian guy who wrote really really good history books. His things that he was analyzing are actually still playing out because I think he died in the. He wrote most of his books in the seventies and eighties, so which is like forty years now. Which is so it's not that old, um, but I do have that Theodore Roosevelt book that he wrote called "Fear God and Take Your Own Part," which is um, first chapter is all about how do you love your neighbor as a nation, but then the rest of it is what he thinks should be America's response to Germany in World War One and how mad he was at Woodrow Wilson. He's like he he's pissed at Woodrow Wilson. Um, yeah, he'll, he'll occasionally he'll occasionally he'll go on these long monologues, but that's a great example of like. This was the most pressing issue at the time. And, uh, well, yeah, we've and, come and, and gone think, 100 years you ago. Look at, yeah, you look at, you read a book like that, that was written uh, 1915, 1918. 
When was that book written? Uh, that one was nineteen. Uh, ooh, I think he would probably read it, wrote it in nineteen fourteen actually, because it was the United States was not in the war yet, and he was he was mm-hmm. mad at how Woodrow Wilson responded to the bombing of the Lustafenza. I think is how you say it. Yeah, oh, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, so if you if you like read a book like that with that historical context, and then you go like on Wikipedia, and you look at like oh what things were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1914 or what things were happening in 1919 that were like new for the time mm-hmm. that hadn't happened before. Yeah. And then you're like, wait a minute, like this hadn't happened yet. Like you're just trying to think of like, man, they weren't like, this wasn't a problem yet. Right. Like these things didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't like, and you look at like, then you look at big, big institutions that are so important in today's day and age mm-hmm. that we can't live without. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the FDIC, since we were talking about it earlier, yeah, didn't exist yet. It didn't exist for forty more years. Like, um, this is nineteen fifties, right? No, uh, great. Uh, oh, that's no. Great Depression. It was part of the, uh, yeah, the New Deal. Yeah, so twenty years. Mm-hmm. So twenty, like, there's just things that hadn't happened yet, um, and then like, like how people got around what the day in the life was like for somebody in that age. And it, it just gives you so much historical context to what was, why this was important yeah. or, and, and that's why I, I like kind of reading those lower level, like, you know, the city of Detroit, the city planning, nobody's reading that except city planners in maybe you. Chicago. Yeah. Or like, and yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you're going to read about, or like, so reading books about the internet in, 1997 oh yeah i bet that they're they're reading those and it's like man the words that they used to describe everything's like e dash Mm -hmm. um and but it's like they describe like the the effects of this on society and like what it is and you're like you can think about it like oh wow they were so wrong but it's like why were they thinking this way and what are we thinking about today Mm -hmm. that we're just going to be wrong about in 20 years yeah or at least most of us will be wrong there's going to be some savant too who nailed it. I, <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to read about the history of the iPhone. Like 40 years from now, I hope I'm around to read about the year 2007 and yeah. how it changed, how it changed the world. Cause that, that's one of those monumental moments that it actually did change the entire world. Mm-hmm. Like you get to bank, everybody banks on their phone. Now that that's oh, what 16 years old that, that you can do that. Um, yeah, so that'll be, that's a, that's a good recommendation. Read really old books to give yourself a historical perspective. Like what were the problems? Um, I looked it up. That book he wrote was in 1916. It's also, that's also when, uh, Shackleton was stuck down in Antarctica. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And no one knew just him. Um, that's a great book for read endurance, man. That'll that's a good, good book, but all right, well, let's wrap this up. Colin, thanks for coming on everybody. Thank you for listening to the man. I want to be podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review. If you didn't like what you heard, just pretend you didn't listen at all. That helps us out just as much. And until next time, this is the man. I want to be podcast.